This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Still throws me off every time. Recording in progress. Okay. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I am your host, Erica Lance. Co-hosting with me today is... Valerie Willis. That's awesome. And our amazing guest today is the incomparable Michelle Cox. <laughs> Woo! Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking here. So um, me and Val are actually technically twinsies two twinsies today. Um, and we're drinking a rum and coke, which... Wow. Yeah, it's it's probably a terrible idea, actually. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. This might be number two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's probably not a good plan. Anyway, Michelle, what are you drinking? Well, I am a little bit more boring than that. I am drinking uh, a Stella Artois. I That's am a, fancy. You don't have an Estella glass. I know. We're like placement. college students. We're like, look, we got so about. Yeah, you guys are probably drinking water in that. So I'm going to get like really drunk and you'll be like, no, real... see? See? <laughs> Ooh, okay. Listen, we know at drinking with authors, we are authentic drinkers. <laughs> That's good to know. When I'm on the show, which is why I go down. <laughs> I go. Uh... <laughs> I think she's already whatever at me. Okay, so if we'll you're not watch watching the YouTube version of this show, you don't know what the hell means, but we're not going to tell you, and you have to download that episode. Okay, so um, Michelle, for those out there that don't know what you write, talk about what you write. Well, okay, I write the Henrietta and Inspector Howard series. It is a sort of a historical romance mystery. I should say mystery romance series set in the thirties in Chicago. And there are five books out so far and I am busily writing the sixth. Awesome. Nice. So yeah. when do you start writing? When, um, like for the day or what year? No, just in general, you were like, you know what? I'm going <sighs> to write. And you could have been a very young child and it could have been like, need crayons no um so <laughs> when, <laughs> that's my first impersonation of a child i'm very proud of myself um, but when, when did you first decide you wanted to write stuff and things oh i don't know i mean since this is a nice long podcast i guess i can give the the, the long version you're like oh great that's not what we wanted no it's fine we have rum and coke go go for it well Okay, so I loved Louisa May Alcott as a kid. And okay. I started writing like, I tried to write like little fan fiction, I think of her without even realizing what fan fiction was, but it wasn't, it was never very good. It always involved tra time travel and some weird thing. So I gave that up. And um, then in high school, I sort of was trying to toy between, you know, being a writer or being a doctor. So when I got to college, I decided doctor sounded easier, okay. <laughs> which I think is funny because it's kind of true. Um, yeah. So I decided to go into pre-med and then I happened to be taking a Victorian lit class at the time at like sophomore year, which I really, really loved. And I kind of also started to notice that all of the upperclassmen in, you know, the chemistry lab, like I had a job in the lab and they were okay. all so much more passionate about chemistry. I mean, I liked it and I thought it was interesting, but I realized one day that I did not have the passion that they did. And I was starting to realize that I really had a passion for Victorian lit. So I changed my major, but notice I didn't change it to creative writing. I was still too afraid. So I just uh, majored in lit and then, um, you know, I got out of school with an English degree and then got a job in a graphics arts firm, <laughs> as you do with an English <laughs> degree in customer service. I actually thought you were going to say, so I started teaching because that's usually when somebody <laughs> has a lit degree, it immediately segues way into, I started teaching and then. <laughs> right. Or I was an editor. No, yeah. none of that. No. And then after that, I started working in a nursing home as the admissions director. So I never really used this degree, except when I was working in the nursing home, I did my job was to, well, first of all, 
I failed at admissions because I didn't realize that, um, you know, basically I was supposed to be an ambulance chaser. So I was supposed to be calling up. Yeah. I was supposed to be calling up hospital discharge units and like buying them like bagels and stuff like that to, to, to sweeten them, to give them, send the residents to us. And I was really terrible at that (laughs) because I just love being with the residents. And so Finally, the administrator called me into his office and he said, you know, um, this isn't working. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to get fired. He's like, we're going to move you into social service. And that was great because then it was my job to write their stories. But I was only supposed to write a paragraph. Like, how do you sum up someone's whole life in a paragraph and stick it in the chart? So I would write these pages. I'd write pages and pages and pages. I would sit with people for like a week, maybe two weeks and get their whole story. And then I would, you know, write it, put it in the chart and the, and the staff loved it. They're like, oh my God, that was such a good one. I'm like, I know, wasn't it? So uh, yeah, that I used a little bit of writing skill there. And then, um, you know, I got married and I became a stay-at-home mom and, and that was it. So I gave up writing. Um, even though I wasn't really writing anyway. Um, and, but I think that, you know, this creativity was always trying to come out in some way, you know, I was writing like cute birthday invitations and car, all, all this crap. So finally, uh, my, when my oldest was diagnosed with ADHD as a sophomore in high school, I was still a stay at home mom. And I was doing all this volunteer work and I'm like, you know, what the hell you are, you're spending all this time with other people's kids, you know, helping them or whatever. I'm like, your kids need you. Cause then I thought the second one had something wrong with him too. Cause I started doing all this reading and I'm like, oh my God, there's something wrong with all of us. <laughs> oh, please tell me um, you didn't get on WebMD. <laughs> I have all the symptoms. Yes. We all had symptoms of lots of things. So oh anyway. God. Um, I quit everything. I'm like, that's it. You know, and that's really hard for me because I'm really a yes person. So I just quit. And um, then I had all this time on my hands, you know, because I got the tutors and medication and therapists and all this kind of stuff. So they got on track, you know, or kind of on the path anyway, faster than I thought. So then I had this huge glut of time. And I thought, you know, you can either go back to volunteering. um, You can get a real job. Or you can um, maybe write this book that you've always secretly wanted to write. So I decided to write the book. And that's where it all started. Awesome. That is awesome. That is a great story. (laughs) I love that you were writing in the patient charts and their stories. I just have to ask, does that factor in at all? Do any of their stories that they kind of told you over time? end up in your book because they've got to they were basically giving you ammunition what a good question yes one thousand percent yes so henrietta the main character in my series is based on a woman that i met in the nursing home and i write this blog called novel notes of local lore and it's um basically i just take a different story every week from the nursing home and um that's my blog and so the blog has its own following separate from you know people that follow my books i mean there's sort of some crossover but the blog really has this devoted following that loves to read these stories every week so definitely i've written two standalone novels that i'm trying to get um, published and those are also based on people from the nursing home so yeah that's great that's so amazing that's a great story i love that story yeah that's an interesting journey to go on I know. And I tell like writing groups, like, you know what, if you are stuck for ideas, just go sit in a nursing home for a couple of weeks. And seriously, you will have more stories than you could ever, 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 ever use. So. Yeah. I believe that. What about, um, so you have the two, old, how old are your kiddos now? If you don't mind me asking. Well, uh, 24, 19, and the youngest is just about to turn 16. Oh my goodness. So the really mm-hmm. fun years. Um, <laughs> right I, I, i'm not quite there but i'm close i'm getting close you're you're not even close you're no you're you want to be close you want to be close she, right? she, she does yeah mine are 25 and 22 now okay so similar similar, similar. Way Valerie, more how about than what is that about 11 and 7 or something <laughs> yes <laughs> If you add them together, you get close to one of ours. That's like a, if, 
that, that well, I mean, a seven year old last time he's autistic and he was caught peeing on the playground again. Uh, yes. Oh, <laughs> so we all had to have the talk. We were go to the bathroom back. Oh my god. <laughs> well, at least he's not 27 and you're having their conversation. That's true. true. Good point. True. So, um, you started writing the mystery novels. Do you uh mystery romance, historical mystery romance? Um, did so are they self-published? How did that go? Are they published through somebody? What is the, how did you do that? Um, I they're published with She Writes Press which is a hybrid press based in Berkeley. And as the name implies, it's women only. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I before I wrote the series, I wrote a novel that never got published. And I tried to go the traditional route with that. So I think I submitted to like, I don't know, uh, maybe 200 agents. And I didn't even get a single nibble. So I realized I was obviously doing something wrong and it turns out I was doing a lot wrong, but um, I went to the writer's digest conference in New York. Cause I thought, you know, I've got to kind of get to the bottom of, of what I'm doing wrong. So I went to this conference and I, I couldn't have been a more like newbie noob. <laughs> like I knew nothing, nothing about publishing the book industry, you know, nothing like that. So it was all very fascinating to me. And one the thing that really struck me is how negative, I mean, cause you know, I I'm there and it's my dream and, you know, and everybody around me seemed to be really negative about traditional publishing. Like, you know, it's impossible. You'll never get an agent. It's one in a million and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, I knew it was hard, but I didn't think it was that doom and gloom. So, um, I ended up going to two workshops and both of them happened to be talking about the joys of hybrid publishing. And I just thought that it, it sounded fascinating. Um, I just, I thought, okay, um, this is perfect. It's, it's somewhere between traditional and um, self and you have the benefit of, of both worlds. You have a lot of creative control, but you're, you know, traditionally distributed and they vet and all this kind of stuff. So it, to me, it sounded like a perfect situation. So I, um, I, I had written this novel or yeah, this mystery novel, A Girl Like You, and I sent it um, right straight to Brooke Warner at She Arts Press. And it, what's funny is that I had written this book specifically to appeal to an agent because the first one, you know, I was realizing was too long and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to write something short, sexy, mystery, whatever that would appeal. And by the time I got to the point where I was ready to submit to agents, I would really soured on traditional publishing. So I didn't show it to a single agent and I took it right to share its press. And I said, what do you think about this? And um, they took it. And by the way, I had sent them my big gargantuan novel first, and they said, no way. <laughs> okay, so, what was, we all got to know now, what was this big gargantuan novel about? Yes. It was kind of a coming of age set in the 40s. And I, again, didn't know anything about writing. Uh, and uh, so <laughs> the, one of the problems with it was that it was 240,000 words. Oh my goodness. Ooh, wow. So it's basically like a triple novel. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. is that like a three-part book series that you were like, listen, to make it easy on you, I'm just going to give it to you all in one book. Yeah. We're going to showgun this book out. <laughs> You've got it. It is not a showgun style book, but you're going to have a showgun's thickness. And it will also hold up your laptop on your desk. Here you go. Exactly. And when they said no, I tried to argue like, well, what about you know, the Goldfinch and all of these other, you know, gigantic type of novels. And, you know, Brooke was like, well, that's great, but they're established writers and you're not. So there's no way anybody is ever going to publish this. So I had to accept it. And I said, well, I have this other novels mystery. And she's like, all right, send it over. And so they read it and they liked it and they took it. So, Very cool. Okay. That's awesome. So how long, how long ago were you published? Uh, the first book came out in 2016. I signed the contract in December of 2014, but I just sort of missed the cutoff. And um, so I went into spring 
spring publication of 2016. Very cool. And then what has it been like? So you've gotten another four books out and you've got another one on the way, which is exciting. Did you find, um, where, how did you find you went from your, you know, epic um, Shogun book to writing these shorter novels? Were you able to easily continue down that line, follow that train? I mean, you've got the book, so yes, but what was that like when? To try to write a shorter book, you mean? Well, to continue. So you write oh. this shorter book. Did you intend to do that as a series type thing? No, that's the thing. I, I, I was still in love with my characters from my unpublished novel, The Gargantuan. Uh, but about halfway through, you know, I started to sort of fall in love with these new characters and I didn't really want to leave them. And I thought, I know I'll turn it into a series, which is great. But, you know, Midway through writing this series, I've realized that I'm really not a mystery writer. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. We're not. You, I mean, you just told the entire audience, but it's okay. We'll bleep that out. Oh, no. But oh, it's okay. We'll pretend we're going to bleep it out. Continue. <laughs> so I realized that I'm not, I, I really love historical fiction. And so the two new novels that I've written are historical like women's fiction. So the, the mystery, I mean, each book of the series does have a mystery, but I realized that this is not really my first love. And even though as a kid, I read tons and tons of mysteries. So I must be subconsciously like drawing on that, all of that in my head. Um, so yeah, but the books themselves get longer and longer and longer. So, you know, book one, I was super proud of myself when it came in at like 95,000 words. And because um, that was a huge accomplishment for me to be able to write something short. Putting it in a third. We got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Although Brooke was when I turned it, she's like, you know, we want to cut another 10,000 words out of this. And I was like, oh, my God, there's no way. So we sort of went back and forth on that. But um, anyway, I think the book five is up to like 130,000. So. so you're just you're you're ramping back up there. So hold on, let me do the math. Book ten will be a two hundred and forty thousand word novel. Right, perfect. Yeah. A perfect. You're like you know holder. what? What I want them to look like on the bookshelf when you it's line a them up together. <laughs> well, have you noticed Harry Potter? That's the same thing right. that happened. So if you can, well, I mean, it's it's like marathon running, and you're training the readers to just run longer miles with each book. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, it's like, um, yeah, exactly. I there, I do have readers. Okay. So let's take book five. That's 130,000 words. Literally, literally, I get some readers that write to me and say, I read it in a day, two days, three days. When's the next one? And I'm like, no, readers are voracious. And I think, you know, you bring that up, which is going to be a what, question, but it's a good timing. Have you networked with a lot of other writers that write in similar genres to you? Um, yeah, I have. And that was something that I kind of uh, had to learn. And conferences are good for that because that's, you know, where you sort of hang out. And there's um, one of the good things about writing mystery is that unlike the other genres, they have a ton of conferences there's like mm -hmm. Malice Domestic, Killer Nashville, BoucherCon, all these. So it's great. So for the first couple of years, I did, you know, the big conference circuit. So I was going to all of these mystery conferences and it was great because I could really, um, I really met a lot of people and realized how diverse the mystery world is. And I did go right for the pandemic to a historical novel society conference and I so fell in love. <laughs> that was like, oh, my people, I have found you. So, yeah, I think it is important. Well, I think it's important because if you get the right group of authors together, you can share fans. And so when they're like, where's your next one? You can go, it's coming out soon, but you should go read Barbara's books. You know, <laughs> and then Barbara does the same thing because you almost are like feeding that need, yeah. but you're keeping them close. Like here's the playground with my <laughs> friends and you can play here, <laughs> you know, on the so, playground. Yeah. Until we can go home for a moment. Yes. <laughs> 
Right. Exactly. No, yeah, that works. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you're shopping around to other novels. What are the other novels about? Well, um, one is, um, I'm trying to remember it was so long ago now. Um, one is called um, The Love You Take, and it follows three women in the 30s in Chicago. And one's a nurse at a um, home for bad girls. And um, one is a rich socialite who ha- whose husband has committed her to a home for depressed women, uh, which really did happen back then because she lost her baby after birth. And the third is a, um, and this is where the true story part comes in. There's a mentally handicapped girl who comes into the home and um, she is unable or unwilling to talk about how she became pregnant or who the father is. And so this nurse who's just new at this, she's been fired from her more prestigious job. She starts trying to figure out what exactly happened to this girl. And so it all twists and turns. Uh, very cool so about writing that mystery (laughs) stuff you talked about um what is the other (laughs) so what is the other book about the other one is the one i am currently really heavily shopping um that one is called um a name by any other and so I have to really practice my elevator speech. But that one is about, um, it's kind of a dual timeline. So one timeline starts out in the 1930s and these two girls are being dumped in the Park Ridge School for Girls, which is a place for girls from broken homes. And um, so they're there. They don't know why they're there. They don't know why their mother doesn't show up and sort of follows them trying to fit into this world. And there's, you know, of course, the, the, the cruel overlord um, matron type of thing then the other storyline is um goes to the 1920s in southern iowa and this is all based on a true story um a young girl who's in like a coal mining town in iowa which i I didn't know there were coal mines in iowa and a carnival comes through town and she uh the barker carnival barker convinces her to run away with him and so eventually the reader figures out that these two little girls are their kids and the timelines oh, wow. meet in the forties and then it keeps going there. These, this mother daughter thing, they're trying to sort of work it out and it, it goes all the way until the 1960s. So. Wow. That is awesome. That is very awesome. I've got a question for you because you said back in college, you fell in love with Victorian era history class, but it sounds like most of your books are about the 1930s. So why the 1930s of all, all times? That is such a good question. Um, I, I love Victorian literature. It's probably the closest to my heart. And I, I think I've read almost every cla- Victorian classic out there. But I write about the 1930s because of all of these stories that I heard in the nursing home. So all of these people kind of had their heyday in the 30s and 40s. And really, my uh, attraction is really more towards the 40s. And that was what the first novel was, you know, was set that never got published. But when I started writing the mystery series, I set it in the 30s because the real woman that Henrietta is based on had a job at at the World's Fair in 1933 in Chicago. And I really wanted to put that detail in there. So I thought, well, you know, for one book, I can shift to the 30s. And then <laughs> it turned into a series. And then so. you just moved there. So you were like, <laughs> I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to pack a backpack, not a big bag. And you're like, I'm never coming back. I'm good. I'm going to stay right here. Yep. I got it. It's good. <laughs> oh my god that's awesome okay we have to take a quick break and we will be right back with drinking with authors this is the voice of drinking with authors you are at our commercial break and our commercial is hey do you want to be a guest on our show or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of that would have to stump us but you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. 
date all the time. Valerie is constantly the reason we can't have nice things, but. <laughs> you still love me, though. You still love me. <laughs> yeah, you guys are going to have to watch the YouTube version of this to fully understand the magnitude of the idiocy on this particular episode. I'm going to do this. Look, look, we just broke the fourth ball. <laughs> I was just going to say that. No, no. Okay. Us in Deadpool. Watch out, girls. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, um, having kids and writing, when do you find time to write? Are they at school and you're like, I'm going to write when they're at school? How does this work? Well, um, yeah. So, pre-pandemic, uh, I would get them on the bus and then I would start writing. I, when I re- first, first, first started writing, you know, I had this thing in my brain where it's like, well, you have to finish all your housework first and you have to finish all the laundry and you have to do it and then you can write. Well, by the time I sat down and wrote, I mean, my, I was, my brain was dead. So I'm like, all right, if you're going to be serious about this, you have to, you have to write first thing in the morning when your, your mind is really super crisp and clear. So I would get them on the bus at, they used to get on the bus at 6.50. Which oh, nice. Wow. <laughs> not, not nice for them, but nice for me. No, I, I, I have a whole theory on the amount of um, time, that, how early they put children on a bus. Children weren't meant to wake up at six o'clock in the morning. Like, that's not a thing. No. They, you like put them on the bus at like 10, nine or 10. So, you know, right. there were mornings, I'm not kidding, where we were standing at the bus stop and the moon was out. It was still dark. And the moon was out. I'm like, there's something wrong here. There's I, something I wrong. Clearly sitting at the bus stop and it's dark. And the owl scared the crap out of me because he flew really low over me. It, wow. It See, <laughs> that's just wrong. Yeah, Valerie has let many animal encounters as much as she did. It wasn't 4-H. What was that was, crap you these did? These are farmers of America. These Whatever. Farmers. Yeah. So she that's in- awesome. Farmers, yet she has more when animals attack stories than anyone I know. And it's not related to the future farmers thing. The stories don't coincide. But she can't even go kayaking without like getting attacked by manatee, like the nicest creature in the world. I don't oh my favorite, my favorite recent story didn't happen to me, but I witnessed it. So Mosquito Lagoon in Titusville. Uh, the water blows, especially in the summer. Ooh. So we go down there, we take the kids down there, there's fireflies, the water is blowing. It's really magical. Wow. The, the day we went out, there's tons of kayakers. I'm like, ah. But we can see dolphins swimming through Hollywood. Uh, wow. And then we, okay, here's this kayaker who's clearly like excited and screaming. And he's like, look, here's another dolphin. And we watch him row across the canal and they go, Oh shit, oh shit. And he starts battling back the other way. He goes, it's a shark. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, see, it's not just me. And my husband goes, no. It's you. You're there. And the kayaker gets attacked by a shark. I'm just telling you, it's an animal's back. And here's the best part. She doesn't, um, she doesn't write any of this stuff. I do. I wrote. Oh no! Uh, Antichrist is a manatee. Once as a short story. <laughs> what? <laughs> See, back to the entire reason we can't have nice things is Valerie. So it's fine. Going back. So, um, you so you were telling us now. Now, when do you find time? After you got the six o'clock in the morning bus, you made time morning good, and then dun 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 COVID. Yes. Well, that changed things, didn't it? Um, yes, it did. So I was still able to write, but it was a lot harder. And I'm really, I really haven't come out of that completely because, you know, there were five of us in a house zooming or writing or working, and just like everybody. So, um, and then of course the kids got a lot more needy, even though they're older. It was. You know, I have this, it, well, this isn't my real office, but there's, I have a rocking chair in my office and I call it the therapy chair because there was always seemed like someone in the therapy chair. 
like, oh my God, I am trying to write, but you know, I have to be there for them. That's my main job. So, um, you know, it, it's been a slower process and, you know, as the, the series goes along, there's so much more marketing and promotion to do. I spend about an hour, maybe two, if I'm lucky writing a day, and then I spend about seven to eight hours marketing. So a day. Yeah. <laughs> like answering email, going on Facebook, going on all the social media, writing a newsletter, writing a blog, um, you know, pitching to be on podcasts like this. <laughs> I'm a social media assistant. I know I should. I really you should. should. Man, I really. Know. Then the more books you write, the more you get out, the more busier she can be. Scalability, yes. my friend. <laughs> Scalability. I know it. I've got to do it. I keep telling myself I'm going to do it when, you know, everything goes back to normal, but maybe that will never happen. I don't know that there is a back to normal ever. I know know. I'm starting to think there's not. I might be in the game room forever. (laughs) Well, that, I mean, it's not the worst place you could be. I see Catan. What else do I see? Okay, stop, stop. What are you doing? <laughs> it's part of the product placement. You're, you're getting ad money for this. For games, even though we're on a. Okay, listen. <laughs> we're going to just reach out and be like, listen, the makers of Sorry owe us some commercial time. <laughs> we never know. That's true. That's true. Um, Do you. So let's talk a little bit about your fans and social media. What has that been like? Um, <clears throat> well, it's been good. I mean, I, I do have a, a pretty loyal following. So that's exciting. Um, you know, I, I sort of reached out to, I just, you know, sent an opening email to anybody I knew on the earth when I first started, you know, the my kids is, you know, preschool teachers, whoever. So I sort of developed a very small little core group and, you know, it has really grown and I feel like people are, you know, um, really rooting for me and hoping, hoping I'll make it someday. Like I'm a small time kid. So I think that's, that's nice. It's cool. When was the first time you got to meet a fan in person? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, probably, you know, I, I, I meet the whole like first year or so I would do book events, but I was, I think, you know, trying to get fans. So I don't remember specifically any fans coming up to me. I think the greatest story I have, or the kind of the first story I have about a fan is, um, I went to the Portland, IBPA conference, the Independent Book Publishers Association conference. And um, so I went to, you know, the, the Friday night cocktail party mixer thing. And so I walked in and my publisher, Brooke Warner, was there and she came up to me and she's like, oh, you're here. And I said, yeah, you know, so I'm really nervous. And because I'm still kind of new. And she's like, I just had the weirdest experience. And I said, oh, what? And she's like, I was in the elevator. And somebody, and there was a woman and she said, are you Brooke Warner? And, you know, Brooke's pretty famous in the book world. And so she's, I'm sure, used to being approached. And she said, well, yes, I am. And expected her to say something about She Writes Press or whatever. And so the woman said, do you publish Michelle Cox? (laughs) And she's like, "Uh, yes, I do. She's like, I'm her biggest fan. Is she going to be here to going to be here today? And she's like, yeah, I think she is. So when Brooke saw me at the cocktail party, she's like, you've got to meet this person. And so we spent the whole rest of the, the cocktail party looking for her, but we never did find her. But Aww. hopefully she really existed. And Brooke wasn't just imagining it. So I, I met your number one fan in the elevator. You're right. <laughs> I don't recognize her here in this room of people, but she's, let's go find her. That's a weird Stephen King story waiting to happen, right? right. Did yeah. she or didn't she? Um, <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah, so that was fun. Have you actually, so we just got a first time you meet the fan story without a fan actually being met. So that's new. <laughs> it's a pretended fan. 
Demon fan. Um, when was the first time you met one, though? Probably a similar thing. I don't have a specific memory. I, what's fresh in my mind is right now is Printer's Row. I just uh, did Printer's Row last weekend. That's the Lit Fest in Chicago. And that is pretty cool because I really do have fans that come up to me there. And it's great, you know, because it's such an affirmation of, you know, what you're doing. And um, one guy, which is, is weird that it was a guy because most of my women or readers are women. So this guy's like, you know, I really love your novels. And um, can you like, can you give me your autograph just on a piece of paper? He's like, all my books are at home. And I'm like, sure. So I signed a piece of paper for him. And then the next day, he shows up again and now he's got all of his books and he's like, I, I just had to come back today. Can, can you sign all of my books? I'm like, yes. <laughs> so that was really fun. So I, I think it's amazing. What about you? So now you've gone to these conventions Have you run into people that you fangirl over because now you've met them. Oh, for sure. That's what the historical novel society conference was all about. Cause those were all my like big heroes were there. And I'm like, should I go up to that? So, I mean, I can't really ask for their autograph, but I was like snapping pictures. So, yeah, it was fun. I was on the panel with one of mine and it was fangirling over Patricia Briggs really hard. And I forgot to say my name. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what is your name? <laughs> did you did you forget? Like, um, it's something. Wait, starts with a V. <laughs> well i think that's the fun part about what we do as authors and we get to do is that reciprocal like you know i'm very fortunate on this podcast and and um how, how close are you gonna get to that I'm camera around. I gotta wiggle. <laughs> and you're worried about the drinking michelle <laughs> just throw that out there right there okay um but you know, we get the chance, I get the chance to meet people on every single podcast. Val gets a chance sometimes when she's co-hosting and stuff, but we get to meet amazing people like you. And then reciprocally, when we're at conventions and stuff like that, like Val was recently at Dragon Con, which was awesome. Mm. And they were like, where, where is the Four Horsemen booth? Where's your guys's, oh, where's the I Drinking with Authors booth? Like, where is it? And question, we didn't yeah. get in because, um, they brought everybody back from the previous year because they didn't have oh. one, you know, in 2020. So they, all the 2020 vendors were 2021. They weren't accepting applications and stuff, but fans out there, we will be there. And it's just amazing. So she has this panel where she's forgetting her name with Patricia Briggs. And then two seconds, <laughs> he's like, where is the booth? I need to buy more of your books. And then, like, <laughs> How do you get out of the booth? <laughs> you know and so it's i love that part of it and getting to meet fantastic authors that just you know it's i think it's amazing yeah i agree and i think that that's something i realized with covid that i really missed one i missed um just networking i mean not only doing events and meeting readers, that's one part of it. But the other part that I didn't realize I would miss was actually being out, whether it's a conference or just meeting up with people because they're, you know, it's kind of a cliche now, but you know, writing is a lonely business and it kind of is. So it's so nice to be with other authors and just sort of, you know, relate. No, I agree a hundred percent. I think that's why your therapy chair was pretty full too, is that they're like, <laughs> Hi, I need a human interaction. You're the human in the house. I'm going to come sit next to the human. Yeah, because pretty much, you know, I'm going to be in my world with my characters. Then you're like, but I want to be in a world with my characters in a coffee shop. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, what is your are you write mysteries? You know, whether you like to or not, um, you write <laughs> mysteries. How does that go for plotting and stuff? I, I don't write mysteries, so I'm not, you don't write mysteries, Val. Talk to us about writing mysteries. We don't write mysteries. What is that like, plotting out the dun-dun-dun? Well, um, I am definitely an outliner, not a pantser. 
I, I, I don't understand how some mystery writers could be pantsers. I, I literally know some mystery authors who do not know who the killer is until the end. That sounds impossible to me. So I start with an outline and I, I have to know what is the basic mystery? I mean, what are they trying to find out? And then how does it end? And then you start, I start writing different scenes that is going to lead to that, you know, and you have to have the red herrings and you have to have, you know, all of that kind of stuff and clues. But what helps me is that there's a ro- always a romantic subplot going on. So for the first few, three books, it was Clive and Henrietta, sort of, sort of a will they, won't they. And again, I didn't know anything about mystery writing, so I don't really follow the formula correctly. <laughs> I also don't follow the correct romance formula. <laughs> so, I, you know, they say write what you would want to read, and that's what I did. And it doesn't really follow in any one particular genre it, it it you know it's kind of a cross genre but anyway so because i have this romantic thing going on and then once they got married i'm like oh that was dumb <laughs> i should have like <laughs> dragged this out you know for 20 books instead you know whatever so i had to you know bring in a new you know romantic subplot now it's the younger sister and so there's always another uh, plot line going which i think helps keep the mystery um, pacing going is to be able to sort of alternate between those two things i mean the the most i know about the mystery genre plot is i clearly remember watching like the scooby-doo kids and every time a new clue would come up i would be like i it was red herring he's the one right it wasn't the snow ghost we're we're doing a serious um author podcast and you just brought up scooby-doo and that's what you know mystery from it works it works and that same person is like i get attacked by animals all the time i don't understand what eric is saying I relate to Valerie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And did someone else out there get honking sounds out of manatees? Please tell me. <laughs> Put it in no, the chat. We don't want those comments on the podcast. <laughs> oh my goodness. I wouldn't mind. I'd like to see this. <laughs> so you you talk about your nursing home stories. Um, impl- I'm going to get this back on the rails. You are completely out of control. Um, the nursing home stories um, kind of fueling some of your stuff. Do you you feel like most of your stories pull from real life? Like, are they real life instances, the genesis? or And has that always been the case? You know, it's back when you were taking literature to work in a ne- nursing home from college back then. <laughs> yes um yeah I do feel like it always everything I write has a a basis in reality it starts with a real story and then I build the I build the plot out from there so Henrietta was this woman that um she her her words to me she would follow me around the nursing home and she would tell me that she had a man-stopping body and a personality to go with it once upon a time and she had all these amazing jobs in Chicago. And so even though it was a depression, she never had a hard time getting a job because she was so beautiful. But she was always getting fired for slapping up the owner, the manager, for trying to attack her in the back room. <laughs> so um, <laughs> there's so much about this woman's life that I, you know, a lot of the sub characters I even, you know, based on real people from her life. And it, for me, I just need that little kernel of truth and then I can explode it into fiction. So yeah, I always start with a real situation. And then of course, you know, you're, I mean, I think all authors do this, right? You're always pulling from different people that you've met and weaving them into a character. So, you know, yeah, I always threaten to kill people in fiction. I right? I really do. I'm like, go ahead, keep keep it up. 
yeah. you know, do HR for a living. Somebody asked me that actually like two days ago. They're, they're like, when you get really mad at somebody, do you just, do you kill them in, in your books? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, just in my books. <laughs> but that's it. Yeah. That, that's the only place. Um, so I'm still here. Well, that's because you're you're just violently entertaining, Valerie. Violently entertaining. Um, is there any genres when back when you were like, I'm going to creatively write for a living, and then didn't um did were there any things that you wrote back then or were they similar? Like, did you start off going, you know what, I'm gonna be a fantasy writer, and then George R. Token went to the wayside, you know, like whatever, George R. R. Martin. You mean when I was starting, you know, to write like in 2012 or like as a kid? No, when you were in college and you were oh, well, no, somewhat I, kind of I, taking that as a thing. No, I never creatively wrote. Nope. Because here's the thing. Oh, the thing. The thing is that. We're going to have a thing. Now get your drink. We're having a thing. Okay, quick. Quick. So the thing. <laughs> So the thing is that I never thought I was a good enough writer. You know, I just didn't have that confidence. And I thought I was a great essayist. So I'm like, oh, I'll be an essayist if I if I'm anything like what does an essayist do? But um That sounds fancy. Um, yeah, right. And I, I had that down to a T. I, you know, whatever, ace aced that. But I never thought I could write something um fictional or creatively and okay here's the real real thing okay <laughs> real real thing to your pal okay real, the real real, real thing. thing the real real thing is i had this guy who was sort of a boyfriend sort of a friend and he thought that he was the world's greatest you know writer on the planet <laughs> right like most guys yeah and that's definitely a thing we're gonna drink to that right thing. right okay yeah, drink to that thing. <laughs> so he's like you know he's very patronizing and he's like you know you you know like a little pat on the head you're a great you know non-fiction writer but i i just don't think you could ever really write fiction now i i'm a i'm a fiction writer but the the thing is is he he never wrote a single thing <laughs> And I fell for it. I fell for it. I believed it. But I was only 20. The, so. great, the great authors that talk about all the stuff they're going to do and then never do anything. You yes, know, he was one of those. The collection of people. Well, I'm sorry. On the next great American novel for the last 10, 20 decades. <laughs> yes, right? It's going to come out any day now. And <laughs> instantly, instantly top the charts if you want to subtly send his name he can end up in one of my books if you if you want to it's not a problem i'll take care of that problem <laughs> i'll Don't dm worry. you i'll dm yeah, you you email me the name it'll be fine um so, oh my goodness we're at the okay we're at the end there's a lot of drinking and destroying it we're at the end we're at the yeah, end of the first episode yeah, oh my gosh okay Okay, so the well, that went fast. Yeah, well, it's because you're entertaining. See, <laughs> if you were boring, this would be like, oh my god, it's been ten minutes and she's just drolling on, drolling on about graphic art. I don't even know what to do with myself. No, just explaining how to play Monopoly. Exactly, ad nauseum. Um, so what advice? <laughs> what advice? You were worried about the drinking part. Um. What advice would you give authors out there? Um, oh, boy, that's a hard one, right? Um, okay, I have two things. One, you have to be very disciplined. So if you really want to be a writer, you have to really write. I, not all authors agree with this, but I feel like you have to write every day or almost every day. Because it's kind of like... I don't know. It's like working out, right? Like no one jumps out of bed and says, oh, I just really feel like working out today. Nobody jumps out of bed. I mean, I don't and say, oh. well, actually the first couple of years I did, but then I got kind of burnt out <laughs> um, where you, 
some days you just don't feel like doing it, but you have to do it even if what you write is crap, because then you at least you have something on the page that you can, you know, revise. So that would be one bit of advice. And second, if I may have another one. Um, you can have as many as you'd like. Go ahead. Try to know why you're writing. I think that's kind of key. Like, are you writing because it's on your bucket list to publish a book? Or are you trying to be a career writer? Because that's a very different path. And if I had known that going in, I would have made a lot of different decisions about, you know, how to spend my time, how to spend my money, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that sometimes there's a lot of people who really are in it just for a one and done. And, and you get caught up in this whole like crazy, like marketing promotional thing and you don't really need to. So um, yeah, I would just say to yourself, try to figure out why, why you're writing and what, what your goal is. I mean, and your goal can always change, but it, that should inform some of your choices. I like it. I like it. It's good advice. Good advice. Okay. How do people find you? Website, things like that? Yeah. um, MichelleCoxWrites.com is my website and um, you can find all of my social media buttons there. Um, Also, (laughs) if you do visit my website, make sure you sign up for my newsletter because I do these huge giveaways every couple of months, like big, like iPads, luggage, jewelry, One time I gave away a trip and it's for uh, newsletter subscribers only. So one for every giveaway, I just pick one subscriber. So that's been hugely successful. So make sure you do that. Yeah. Well, me and Valerie are going to sign up. I'm on a trip. I'm going to sign up for the newsletter. (laughs) That's definitely going to happen regardless. Do it. And what is your um, book six that's coming out? When is that supposed to be done? Well, um, the working title is A Spying Eye. And I don't have a date because I'm not going with She Writes with this one. I'm going to self-publish it. So that is going to be a huge learning curve for me. (laughs) So I don't have a date. But hopefully, I'm hoping early 2022. Very cool. That will be awesome. You have been amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is fun. I wish I'd known about this earlier. Yes. Well, Thank you. And we try to be fun as we continue to drink. And it was a blast. You know, <laughs> the other thing, going to protest the show because of you. <laughs> oh, no. I don't even. Okay. This has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co host is the very drunk Valerie Willis. Oh, you guys. <laughs> Our guest has been Michelle Cox, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.